me a favor, get your Bible out, turn with me to Nehemiah 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take one with you, okay? Get your note sheet out, or you can open the app, take notes on the app. Uh, we're in the middle of a series going through Nehemiah, and we're partnering that with our small group ministries, okay? So all our small groups right now are doing sermon-based small groups, and uh, if you're not in one, you're really, really missing out, and we're only halfway through. So I can't encourage you enough. Go to our Grow page on our website, find a small group, join. The way you prepare for small groups is you take notes, and, uh, and then you're ready, okay? And we'll unpack the sermon, and we'll ca- kind of cross-section it with our lives this morning. Um, I, uh, so if you're new to Coastal, I, I've been wrestling with how to start the sermon. I, I didn't feel like I did it well in the last service, so I'm not doing it well this service either. So that's two in a row. I'm 0 for 2. Uh, so anyway, um, if you're new to Coastal, um, we, uh, we just preach through books of the Bible generally. About 90% of our sermon calendar is that we just go through books of the Bible, and so that forces us to cover the next thing that the Bible is teaching us. Everyone with me on that? Uh, so today's sermon, it was uh, not like, oh man, they really need this. It's just the next book, the next chapter in the book, and uh, and so sometimes we cover really fun topics, and sometimes we cover really difficult topics. And so today's a little bit of a difficult one. We don't sugarcoat that, but today's sermon is really about giving and generosity. Okay. Uh, and so I want you to know my heart posture. Coastal's doing great financially. We're blessed. We want to. We praise God for that. We praise God for you. If you're a generous donor here, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I don't. I'm, we're not after your money. I want you to know the God of the Bible. Amen. Anybody? Yeah. I want you to know the God of the Bible, um, and He's a generous God. In Romans chapter 8, check this out, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Apostle Paul says this about God. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us everything? Okay? Or all things. Uh, What does that mean? It's It's a greater to the lesser argument. Paul is saying that God has already given us His greatest gift, amen? And so everything else after that is lesser than what He's already given you. So as we talk about generosity and giving, okay, God is going to fill in the gaps where you don't think you can do it and provide what you need, amen? And so if you're new to Coastal, what, we're not after your money. We don't care about your money. We care that you know the God of the universe. So why is He a generous God? By the way, the God of the Bible is not chintzy. Amen? Amen? He's not a chintzy God. He took care of your greatest need. Here's your greatest need, okay? Your sin has left you with a deficit with the holy character of God that you could never repay. Never. What you actually deserve is God's punishment. But God is a generous, generous, gracious, patient, kind, forgiving God. And so here's what He did. He gave His very best gift, His one and only Son, and Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life, and then He died in your place. It wasn't just a martyr's death. It was a death where God poured out His wrath and hatred of your sin and my sin so that Jesus bore that wrath so that you don't have to. 
And then he laid his lifeless body in a grave, and three days later, he stepped out of his own grave, authenticating his claims as being the only way to God. So if you don't know God today, I want you to know your Creator loves you, He's generous, He's filled in the gap, and the way you can know your Creator is to say, yes, I'm a sinner, turn from your sin, and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sin, and He bodily rose from the grave. Amen? And you receive Christ, and then He transforms us from the inside out to be more like His character. And so today's sermon is about you and me taking on the character of a generous God. You guys with me on that? So here's what I want to do. I want to open with prayer so that our heart postures are right, okay? Because this is a sense, I know it's a sensitive topic. I know the economy stinks and all that stuff. And most of the text of the Bible were written to poor people when the economy stunk. So this is not like new or unusual, okay? Uh, And so let's pray, and I'm asking me and us to have the right heart posture. So God, it's a sensitive subject. Um, It's one we probably didn't come in here today, like the week was hard, and we're like, man, I sure hope, you know, I get something encouraging, and I'm going to talk here about money. So uh, God, that's not the normal spot. So God, adjust our heart postures that we understand that it's in Your Word, and you want to speak to us this morning because you want to develop us as authentic followers of Jesus. And as authentic followers of Jesus Christ, we are generous because you're generous. We want to be like you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I um, was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and he, he's since moved away from Coastal, but I was talking to him, and he says, hey, how often do you preach on giving? And I said, I'm like, the whole sermon on giving, like probably no more than once a year, probably every 12 to 18 months. Um, And he said, said, it feels like it's every three months to us. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, I get it. I get it. I know that. So, uh, but I was, you know, I've always tried to invest in my kids the idea of generosity and tithing and giving. And, um, and I remember when my one son was young, he was probably eight or 10, and he had gotten some money somewhere. And so I was teaching him about giving and tithing. And we, I, was, I took him through the scriptures that talk about tithing and had him read them. I said, what do you think these mean and stuff? And we we're going through that. And so, he, you know, he kind of caught the vision of what God's word is for tithing. And so he wanted to tithe on that money. And then he started asking me uh, where that money went in the church, and I talked about how it fuels and funds the gospel. Uh, and then he asked me how I got paid. And, uh, and I said, well, the board sets my salary. But, and, and then I realized in his mind he understood that I worked for him, okay? And uh, that's where his mind went. And, and uh, so that was interesting at that age. But one of the joys with my own children in teaching them to give and tithe is, is, is when, like, we've had fundraisers for building funds or planting gospel outposts or things like that where we've asked for not only... So a tithe is a tenth, and, and I'll get into this in a minute, but a tithe is about supporting your local church, okay? Offerings are over and above gifts where we want to see the gospel go forward in, in a unique way. And so there's been times where we've done, hey, this is an offering. This is so that we can fund and fuel the gospel. And to watch my kids catch that. I remember one time my daughter wanted to give so much, I almost stopped her. I'm like, what are you, crazy? You can't give all that. Like, you know, and, uh, and I would have robbed her of what the Lord wanted to do. And, uh, and so now let's jump into Nehemiah 5. Okay, Nehemiah 5. So remember, Nehemiah, uh, he, he's in a foreign land. He works for King Artaxerxes. He's the cupbearer. God had sent the return, the ex, the nation of Israel had been sent into exile because of their disobedience, and God had returned the exiles, and he was going to rebuild the country. Nehemiah is working for King Artaxerxes. He realized, hears that the wall and the rebuilding of the wall is not going well. He grieves this. Remember, 40 days of prayer and fasting, and, and he grieves this, and... Um, 
And so he, uh, he waits for his time, and in the right moment, he asks King Artaxerxes if he can go back and rebuild the wall. Remember, he asked for you know, all the resourcing to come from the king, the wood and the timber, and the king grants it, and, and he then goes and he surveys the wall. He doesn't just start the work. He surveys, comes up with a plan, and then they rebuild the wall. Everybody participates, Nehemiah 3. Everybody takes a part in it, and, uh, and it took 52 days, and so now we're kind of getting these stories inside of the story, okay? And so last week we talked about opposition, and we, and now remember, we're taking all of this heart for the kingdom, and we run it through the New Testament. We're not building physical walls. Jesus said uh, on the confession of Peter, where Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus responds to that. He says, upon this rock, I will what? build my church. So we're now running this through the New Testament. The heart for the kingdom is the exaltation of the gospel in the hearts of men and women through local churches, okay? And, and, so, and so last week, opposition, and we have spiritual opposition, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We talked about how we prepare for that as Christians. Now, today, we see Nehemiah dealing with internal opposition of the nation of Israel. The Jewish people are fighting because of some of the resourcing is being uh, disproportionately given out, okay? We see that in Acts 6, too, with the early church, with the widows, and some people are not getting enough food, and, and the, the early church has to deal with this distribution of resources, okay? And so, with that kind of as an overview, let me, let me draw out a couple points. Point number one, God's kingdom does not advance by unrighteous means, amen, okay? The world would tell you that the ends justifies the means. Like if it's a good end, however you get there, it doesn't matter. That's not the way a Christian thinks. The process matters as much as the end product. We always do what God calls us to do in holiness and righteousness. You just sang it. If I end up in the fire, I'm fine because you'll be there too. Does anybody know what that song, when you sing that, do you know what you're singing about? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Well, they don't bow to the king. They don't bow to an idol. They suffer the consequence of the culture, and God shows up and bails them out. All right, so here it is, Nehemiah 5, 1 to 5. Now, there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So they're trying to stay alive. Times are tough. There were also those who said, we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our house to get grain because there's a famine. So times are tough. Verse 4, and there were those who said, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So guess what? They're paying taxes just like you do, right? But they're they're so tight, they have to actually incur indebtedness in order to pay their taxes. Verse 5, Now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as our children, yet we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help out, for the other men have our fields and our vineyards. So, in other words, they're so so tight financially, they're actually having to sell their children into slavery. That's a bad financial situation, right? Probably not too many people in this room are facing that kind of financial situation. And so what we see here is there's unrighteous things happening while they're trying to accomplish the work of God. The work of God is not accomplished in unrighteousness. The work of God in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is advanced strategically, yes, but not in unrighteousness. We are never to sin to advance the kingdom of God. Everybody with me? And so the sin here is, is taking advantage of the poor 
is what's happening, right? The poor are being taken advantage of, and godly leadership, godly men and women that lead things do not take advantage of the poor to accomplish a biblical vision. We can, and I mentioned this last week. Remember last week I talked about evangelism? Is the church supposed to do evangelism or take care of its own and build up its own? Which is it? It's yes, right? Well, financially, we're to advance the kingdom, and financially, we're to take care of our own. It's a both and. Everybody with me? We don't take advantage of the poor. Galatians 6, 9. I quoted this last week, right, in, in encouraging you to battle your enemies and not grow weary. Galatians 6, 9, Paul writes this in 6, 9, and 10. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we There's a reward, by the way, if we do not give up. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. I want you to read this last part with me. And especially to those who what? Are the household of faith. I don't know if you ever caught that. So we're to do good in the community. We're to do good to everyone, but we're especially supposed to take care of fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm going to say something bold, and I I don't know that a lot of pastors would say this, but I say it and I mean it. If you are a member of this church, so you go through our membership process, and you're a member of this church, and you're tithing, that means you're giving a tenth of your regular income to this church, and you run into financial difficulties, we will help you. Amen? Amen? You come tell the leaders, man, I'm in a pickle. We will help you get out of that pickle. How about that? See, it's not the government's job to do that. It's our job to do that. Okay? Now, some of that help, it's going to be holistic help. It might be we help pay your rent or your mortgage. Maybe that we help put food on your table. Maybe we help evaluate your situation. We may say, you know what, you can get a side hustle, and we know where you can get the side hustle. It may be, hey, you've got an asset that you can liquidate, and we'll help you until you can liquidate it to get out of the mess you're in. Because we understand the tensions. We're here to help, and we understand the Second Second Thessalonians 3. By the way, this is New Testament, not Old Testament. Paul says in Second Thessalonians 3, if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't what? eat, right? So, it's these riverbanks. Maybe you lost your job unexpectedly, and we're helping bridge the gap until, you know, you can get on your feet. But we will help you, and I know my church leadership will stand by me on this. Now, I want to chase a rabbit trail before I get into the next passage of Scripture. Some of y'all, this will be very boring to you, uh, but I'm covering all of the Scriptures, and so I think it's important that we chase the rabbit trail for a minute. The question, by the way, I've gotten this question a lot over the last year, which has been interesting that it's now in this text. And the question is, does the Bible allow Christians to lend money with interest? How many of y'all have ever heard of the word usury? Anybody heard of usury? Like, you're an old school church person. Have you heard the word usury? Uh, most people would, most people, not all, would define usury, usury as the idea of lending money with high interest, okay? And so, I've really put a lot of time and study into this on this passage, believe it or not. And here's what I've concluded. Number one, the Bible gives stern, stern warnings to lending money in such a way that it takes advantage of the poor, Okay? I said this a couple weeks ago, and I stand by it. Uh, I'm a, I've had a couple, one staff member that's reminded me almost weekly that I said this. Uh, I'm a red-blooded capitalist. I think capitalism is in a fantastic form of economics. 
okay? I think there's even some biblical principles in there, but the biblical principles have to be tethered, and they have to be tethered with generosity, okay? Because you probably heard this statement, it takes money to what? Make money, right? So, in the parable of the talents, okay, different people give different levels of gifting and resources to steward, right? There's a one-talent person, there's a five-talent person, and there's a ten-talent person. The one-talent person, in order to double their talent, has to risk almost everything, right? The ten-talent person, to double one talent, has to risk less, okay? And so, there comes a time as we build wealth to be generous because capitalism can lend itself that the wealthy can take advantage of the poor and lend at hot interest rates, okay? And this is why I think capitalism best works when led by believers who understand generosity as well. Everybody with me on that? Uh, so, some of you are like, I hate your economic view, whatever, okay? So, <clears throat> I'll, you and I can talk afterwards. All right, so, the Bible also gives stern, stern warning to borrowing money. It doesn't say we never borrow money, but it gives stern warning. Proverbs 22.7 says, the debtor is the servant to the lender. The word servant there is actually the word slave. The debtor is the, say it with me now, slave to the lender. You guys have heard me harp on our culture Guys, we have, as a culture, we have racked up too much debt. Our, we need to vote for people that will get us out of debt as a culture. It's a biblical principle. We, we're going to serve our indebtedness as a country. We, we are drunk on spending tomorrow's money today. And it's a biblical principle. And so, Deuteronomy 24 does give the parameters of a loan. I'm not going to unpack Deuteronomy 24, but it says a loan essentially should be mutually beneficial to both the borrower and the lender. I love Proverbs 28 because I think it sums it up best, and I like the way the NLT says it. Proverbs 28.8 says, income from charging high interest rates will end up in the pocket of someone who is kind to the poor. We're to be a generous and a kind people, which leads to point number two, okay? Nehemiah teaches us we are called to generosity. We're called to generosity. We are to be a generous people. As Christians, we should be leading the way in the culture in generosity because, letter A, this goes about, so what happens is all the, that the people were being lent money. They were even borrowing money to pay their taxes. So, here's the point of generosity. There comes a time in our lives for giving and not lending. Everybody with me? There comes a time where we go, hey, we're just going to give to help. There comes for a time for giving and not lending, and this takes spiritual maturity to know the difference. Nehemiah 5, 9, Nehemiah goes, as he hears the troubles of the people, he says, so I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. And by the way, this, the next line comes up in this passage two other times. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Okay, I want all your eyeballs for a minute, okay? Money is spiritual. Anybody? 
Money is spiritual. Money is about do I fear God or not. Every single one of you in this room has been given time, talent, and treasure to steward. And every single one of you, myself included, in this room, we are going to stand before God and we are going to give an account of everything He's called for us to steward. Amen? Amen. All your money, it's yours, given to you by God. And you're gonna, you don't answer to Pastor Sean. You don't answer to the church. church is not asking for money. I'm just telling you, you're going to stand before God, and you're going to give an account for how you use your financial resources. All of us are going to have that. And so, Nehemiah leans into that, right? So, here we go. We ought we not to walk in the fear of God to pretend, prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? In other words, he's like, if we don't display generosity, the world's going to mock us. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Okay. The church really, I, as the pastor of this church, we're not after your money. I say that every week, and I mean it. I want you to know the Lord, and I want you to know the gospel, and I want you to be transformed from the inside out. Okay? We just sang that in Be Thou My Vision, right? What did you sing? Riches I heed not, right? Like, God, you have it all. Like, once you know God, He has it all. God is all yours. What do you need from me to serve the kingdom? And so, I am a huge believer that our lives would be radically changed if all of us had an understanding of the fear of the Lord. Imagine if every country's leader right now with war all over the world, every leader was making decisions with the fear of the Lord. I'm going to give an account of my leadership in this moment. It would radically shift how we did things. Yes? It would radically shift Sean Brown. If I thought about my idle words in my home, the tone with which I speak to my family in my home, my time and how, I'm gonna, how I use it, how I raise my children, how I work for my boss, how I view the church, and yes, how I view money. If I did it all with the fear of the Lord, I want you ultimately to know the Lord. Scripture reminds us, letter B, that there's really, at the end of the day, there's joy in generosity. I want you to know the joy of generosity, and I genuinely mean that. So, see what happens. So, Nehemiah says, the things we're not, is, that we're doing is not good. We're exacting high interest. We're taking advantage of the poor. We need to stop this immediately. And so, verse 11, check this out. He says, here's what we're going to do. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, so the people that are doing that said, then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do this as you say. There comes a time for giving and not lending, okay? And I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And I also shook out the fold of my garment, and I said, So may God shake out every man from his house and his labor who does not keep this promise. Now, that's quite a prayer. He's basically saying, I hope you lose your house and your job if you keep doing this. You ever prayed one of those? And all of the assembly said something. What did they say, church? Amen. We agree. That's what amen means. I agree and praise the Lord, and all the people did as they had promised. 
So first of all, there's joy, man. They're set. They go, yes, and we're in. And they praise God as they do it. All right? So here's the deal. You ready? I'm going to challenge you guys. There are a lot of Sundays, man. I get done preaching. I feel the Holy Spirit in here. The Word of the Lord's done its work. We sing that last song, and people start clapping. What a great week of corporate worship. This is going to be a tough week to do that. Let me say that again. This is going to be a tough week to do that because he's talking about money, all right? What if we left here saying, praise God. God's got everything. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord, all right? Now, I want to briefly jump over to Corinthians. The, first, the letter of First and Second Corinthians, the, the church of Corinth uh, was a mess. They had so many problems. I, I kind of giggle when I drive by a church in our culture that named their church Corinth. Right? Have you ever done it? like First Baptist of Corinth? Like, why would you do that? They had so many problems, you know? We got the third of the New Testament because of church problems. And, uh, and so, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul is raising an offering uh, to help the Jewish believers who are poor, the church in, in, in um, Rome and the Jewish, uh, Jerusalem, and they're poor and they're suffering, and he's going to the churches he's planted and raising money for an offering for them. And so the Corinthian church says, yes, we're in, we're going to do it. But they ended up not doing it, and so, so there's two big sections in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about giving and about, and about offering, tithes and offerings. And so I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, where the church of Corinth hadn't done what they promised to do. And so he says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, to this point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So again, there's this biblical idea of reward. God rewards us when we're generous, okay? And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one, verse 7, must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, because God, what church, loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, he's talking about God, he's got all sufficiency of all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I am... We all probably have areas in our lives, talking about fear of the Lord and giving account, we all probably have areas in our lives we waste money, right? Um, and so I think as, I'm, as it's coming out of my mouth this morning, I'm realizing I got to give an account for this. I, um, I care about my grass in my yard, okay? It's probably a waste of money, but every year I aerate my lawn. Anybody here aerate your lawn? Okay, you're with me. You care about your grass too, and you're going to give an account. So we'll all stand together. Like, we had green grass, God. So um, I aerate my yard, and I get the kind that pulls the plugs up, and inflation's hitting all of us, right? I, I get it. Times are tough. Your food bill's more. Uh, listen, grass seed has gone through the roof, okay? And so I go, get, I go to price the grass seed. I'm like, what? You got to be kidding. So here's what I did to save money this year. I got a smaller bag of grass seed, and then I went out into the pot, the little plugs in my yard, and I just put one piece of grass in every plug around the grass. No, that's, that's ridiculous, right? You can't, you can't play it. And that's kind of the picture that, that God, when I, so to have a great lawn and to have a, you know, it's not really a harvest, but if you consider your lawn a harvest, right, to have a great harvest, you have to throw a lot of seed out, right? I don't worry about every seed. Well, that one landed on hard grass. I sure shouldn't have spent money on that seed, you know? I wish I hadn't given that seed away. They didn't use it very well. Now, what does the Scripture tell us to do? 
to so generously and cheerfully knowing that it will, the seed and the giving will fall where it's supposed to and bear the kind of fruit that God wants it to bear, okay? And so a couple, a couple points out of 2 Corinthians. First of all, we're to give joyfully, right? God loves a cheerful giver. We're to give joyfully. And the word for joyful is actually hilarious. We're to give hilariously. Listen, if you're put off, I prayed for just a heart posture this morning. Like, if you're put off by giving, you ready? Don't give. I, really, don't. Like, I feel for you. If when the offering like, offering becomes, you're like, oh, man, here we go. Like, I really don't care. Don't give. I don't want your money. Coastal doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your money. What He wants is everything. He wants your heart to be transformed. Give give as an overflow of what you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ to be. You don't answer to me. You do not answer to this church in some regard. You answer to God Almighty. Give joyfully. Until you're ready to do that, don't give. But listen, I would encourage you, pray about it. Like, pray, God, what's going on in my heart? What's my heart posture today? Give in a planned manner. Number two, give planned, not under, Paul says, don't give under compulsion. Listen, if it, I don't think that we're to sit in a setting and get all emotional and like, you know, make life-altering decisions out of emotion. Now, emotion can be a, a plus or a minus. I'm not really speaking into emotion, but pl- giving should be planned. In 1 Corinthians 16, as Paul's teaching about an offering, he actually says to set money aside and give it on the Lord's day. By the way, if you want to know why we take up an offering in our corporate worship, we think from 1 Corinthians 16 that Paul is teaching that it's a part of worship in corporate setting, okay? Now, I know most of you get a give electronically. I do too, okay? But I'm going to tell you, when I give electronically, I pray over it every time before I hit sin. Lord, use this. You're, I know a lot you all cheered because you're excited and you should... We're doing, we think we're going to do over 30 baptisms in, in November. Isn't that amazing? Yes, Your giving is a part of that. Battery Park is growing. Your giving is a part of that. We're going to adopt some more campuses. Your giving is a part of that. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Korchi is in Ukraine ministering to people suffering right now. Your giving is a part of that. Pastor Andrew went through all the missions we did just a couple weeks ago. You're, giving, you're making a difference all around the world. Praise be to God. Amen. And I want you to do that with planning and with joy. Set it aside. And, and so, you ready? I believe that the Bible teaches that the starting point of generosity for a Christian is a tithe. And the word tithe means tenth, and I believe you can build the case in the Scriptures that your tithe should go to your local church that is blessing you and blessing your family with spiritual blessings. And then there's place in the Scriptures for offerings over and above giving to missionaries that you support, and I hope you're supporting some to missions agencies that you support, and I hope that you support some, to endowments that we're going to be sharing that vision with Coastal, to building funds. These are offerings that as God has blessed you, you give to so that the gospel goes forward. And when we do that, the third thing here is a generous God will provide all that you need. 
Let me say that again. A generous God will provide all that you need. Amen? I am. I've been doing a private, my personal Bible study behind the scenes this year. I've been kind of journaling my way through the, some of the minor prophets. And um, one of the ones I've been journaling through is Malachi. I think, I think we'll do a series of Malachi eventually, but it's, Malachi is tough, man. He doesn't pull any punches, and it's good. It's, it'd be good for our culture to hear. Uh, but in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says this, he, he, he's doing a Q&A with the nation of Israel, and he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So he's basically saying to the nation of Israel, you are not following me. You're not doing what I've commanded you to do. And so they ask a question, Right? How shall we return to you? Like, how have we ignored you, God? Verse 8, God's response, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how, how have we robbed you? And what does God say? In your tithes and what's the second one? Tithes and offerings. So I'm not making this stuff up, right? And then he says this, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby, by the way, it's the only time in the Bible God says you can put me to the test. He says, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more. Verse 11, which I left off to here as I was doing my personal study this week, I read verse 11, and it basically says, I'm going to protect your crops. In other words, I'm going to protect your livelihood in such a way that the nations will see and praise God. Amen. This is why I always talk about like the economy, this, that, the future. Listen, God can in any setting protect His children. Nehemiah, what was Nehemiah's job? Anybody know? cupbearer. You want to know what? Here he was. He got deported. He's in a foreign land. Everything that you think could go wrong had went wrong, and Nehemiah has an incredible job. Yes? Man, if we take God at His Word, He will take care of us. I, I build uh, every December. I, uh, I build my family's budget. I've been doing it since we got married. I, I am old school. I do it on a piece of legal paper, okay? Some of y'all, all you Excel nerds, or there's all kinds of apps now, whatever. I do it on a piece of paper, okay, whatever. So, but the very first line of my budget, guess what I put up there? I put the word tithe. And the reason I do that is I look at the tithe as the umbrella of God's protection over everything else that we're planning to do. We plan, and then sometimes plans go awry, but we plan, and then we ask God to protect with the tithe. My first, my wife and I were just talking to our small group about this last week, and I, I don't know how long it was, at least a decade as your pastor at Coastal, the numbers didn't add up for, on our budget, and we, we didn't have any margin. I mean, there was years, years, decade, no cable, right? You know, dial-up internet for as long as, you know, we could do that, and no vacations, and I'm not complaining, I'm just saying there was no frivolous in our budget, and the numbers didn't add up, and every single year, we saved money. Anybody? How's that happen? See, some of you, by not tithing, you're not giving God an opportunity to show off in your finances and show off how He's going to make, the, make up the difference. 
And guess what's going to happen? The week that He shows up and shows off and makes up the difference, when you sing, Be Thou My Vision, Riches I Heed Not, you're going to know, I've got a God that I was in the financial fire and He met me there too, right? Your singing takes a whole different tone because God is with you and God provides. And and so, listen, um, I want to take one more thing and I'm going to wrap this thing up really quickly, okay? Uh, there's somebody sitting here this morning that as I'm talking, you're like, man, I want to be more generous, but I have mounded up my past financial mistakes, man. I've mounded up so much debt that I don't know how to get out of it. Okay, we want to help you with that, okay? And that doesn't mean loan forgiveness. I don't have that power, okay? So, uh, but we have an incredible class that we offer. If I get this next slide up there, uh, financial peace, okay? It starts in January. It's a nine-week course that we want to train you how to use your finances to get out of debt, okay? Now, I know it's October, and you're like, I can't wait till January. I am struggling Put it on the tear-off, drop in the box. I know some individuals in this church that will sit down with you and work with you to know the freedom of not being in debt. Amen? We don't, we don't want you to be the servant to the lender. We want you to grow in financial freedom. There are biblical principles that will help you do that so that not only can you tithe, but you can do offerings as God leads you, okay? All right, final thing we see here is the generosity of servant leadership. And I'm going to go through these really, really fast, okay, because of time's sake. Letter A, Nehemiah, servant lead, we see this out of Nehemiah's life and leadership. He, servant leaders fear the Lord, okay? Verse 15, the form of Nehemiah 5. The former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver, even their servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Ungodly leaders place unnecessary tax burdens on people. That does not always preach, does it? Godly leaders look for ways to relieve burden, financial burdens from people so that they can use their resources to honor the Lord and as they see fit. Secondly, servant leaders have brotherly compassion. Nehemiah had compassion for his people. Now, what was prepared at my expense? So, in other words, Nehemiah got a daily ration. Each day was an ox, sheep, six sheep, and birds, and and every 10 days there was plenty of wine in abundance. Yet, for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service of the people was too heavy on the people. Listen, leaders, godly leaders, see what's happening and are willing to forego some of their blessings for the good of others. Everybody with me? That's servant leadership. And then number three, servant leaders seek the blessing of God ultimately. And so Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah 5.19, by the way. Remember, think about this prayer, what Nehemiah is saying. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Have you ever heard a pastor or a teacher say, I think we should serve the Lord and do good even if there's no reward? Now, I think there's some truth in that, but I don't think that's what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible actually teaches us delayed gratification. Store up a heavenly reward. It is okay to go God sees and God rewards. What did Jesus say? Don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures where? In heaven. Where what? Moth and rust do not corrupt. Where thieves don't break in and steal. We can actually store up for ourselves heavenly reward. Amen, church? And I want you to seek that. I want to finish with this. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I, um, if you've never been on a missions trip, 
you really need to go um, to see our brothers and sisters in the Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord in a third world country, and their level of generosity is, is staggering. It's absolutely staggering. Um, I've, I've ministered in the bush of Africa several times. I remember the first time I got dropped off uh, by the missionary. And if you know anything about like third world countries, time is a whole different thing. I'm like, hey, when's church start? He's like, it starts at 10. I'm like, my watch 10, 11, 12, no church. It just starts when everybody gets there, right? And I was like, hey, he drops me off in the bush, no cell phones, no communication. He's like, I was like, when are you going to be back? When are you going to pick me up? He's like, a little later. Uh, and so, like, literally the sun was setting, and I'm like, and I'm in this area with huts. I'm like, I'm going to be in a mud hut tonight. And, uh, and so, and having, I didn't bring any lunch and anything, and so this pastor of this church in the bush goes into his mud hut, and he comes out with a Coke and a donut. Now, I know that's not a big deal, but I looked at that, and I'm like, this guy is giving me his very, very best, incredible generosity. I remember another time we were at a church in the bush in Africa, and me and my pastor, his name was Fred, Pastor Fred, we were ministering together. And after we got done teaching and preaching, they came up and they gifted us, and they gave us, they gave, they piled Pastor Fred up with fruits and vegetables. And then they handed me a live chicken. <laughs> and he thought it was hilarious. I've never touched live poultry in my life, and uh, I'm like, I get my chicken from Walmart, like, and this thing's wriggling, and I'm trying really hard to be grateful. I'm praying to God it doesn't poop on me, you know, like, I'm like, what is happening, you know, uh, but just, like, as, as you drive through their village and you leave, and you see, man, they just gave me their, like, they made a sacrifice for me, and I took that chicken and I went one village over, and I told the person to stop, and I held it out the window, and some family came running. Like, they were like, praise God, you know, and have your chicken. Um, okay, but here's what I want for you. So first of all, prayer team, come on up. Prayer team, under the, under the screens, if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. Here's what I want for you this morning. I want you to, I'm not after your money, I want you to know the generosity of God. You worship a generous God our God, who did not spare His own Son, Romans 8, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? We don't worship a chintzy God. One amen, okay? Let me say it again, ready? We don't worship a chintzy God. And so I want to, this is not a health and wealth prayer, but last week I prayed a prayer of blessing over you. I want to do it again, but I want to pray that as you grow in generosity, God continues to bless you. I really want to see that for you. I want God to show off through your life His generosity. I want Him to bless your finances, your workplace, your stuff in an inflationary environment that you continue to see the good hand of God provide for you in your family even when it doesn't make sense. Amen? Amen. Do we not serve a God that can do that? We do. So let's stand, and I want to pray over you this morning. God, I thank you for these people. I, the people of Coastal are the most generous people on the peninsula. I truly believe that. There's someone in this room who's been challenged this morning. 
going, I'm not tithing, and I, I, I need to. I need to step up, and I need to trust a good God to provide for me. God, I want to pray very specifically for these people. God, I pray that you'll bless them in the workplace. I pray, God, that their finances would grow. They would be a blessing to their boss. Their boss would recognize what they're doing and that their incomes would grow. God, I pray like the children of Israel in the wilderness whose clothes didn't wear out of place, that their roofs wouldn't wear out, their cars would last longer than they're supposed to, their utility, their, their uh, refrigerators and their dishwashers will work longer than they're supposed to so that they can be generous with the kingdom of God. You can do that, oh God. I pray, God, that you'll provide. There's someone here that needs a car this week. I pray that you'll provide it. Someone in this room maybe needs a vacation. God, I pray that you'll provide the vacation for them so that they can have rest, so that they can come back and continue to serve God. You're a good, you're not a chintzy God. You care about everything that we need. And I pray your blessing on your people so that the enemies of the gospel would go, something's happening there. And we could say, yeah, you need to know my generous God who gave his one and only son that we might have abundant and eternal life.